0: Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke.
1: Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to In Transition, the podcast that deals with the practice of content marketing in government. Today, I speak to an old friend, and we've been in this business for a long time, and it's going to be a really interesting discussion because she has a fabulous background. But before we come to her, as we do each week, we start with a definition of just precisely what content marketing is as it relates to the public sector. Content marketing is an evidence-based measurable, repeatable, and strategic business process that relies on the creation, curation, and distribution of useful, relevant, and consistent content in order to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen or stakeholder outcome. As I said, my guest today is Mandy Giles, who has a long career in the media. She has over 25 years' experience working in a range of different places. She started her career at the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, as did I. Mandy moved into the role of communications officer in the in agricultural industry and then worked for the Department of Ag as a public affairs officer for the Australian Centre for International Agricultural Research But now Mandy has stopped working in-house and she's working as a consultant for her own company. Her clients include the Capital Metro here in Canberra, SBS Radio, the International Crops Research Institute for Semi-Arid Tropics, and the Australian Centre for International Agriculture Research. Mandy joins me now. Welcome to In Transition. Thank you very much. And I did just drop this on Mandy, everyone. As she was walking in, we were going to have a chat. And it's a very hot day here in Australia. And uh, Mandy said, Well, I thought you were going to ask me to go down to the pub, which is underneath our office, to have a beer. And I said, No, 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 we've got to go and do a podcast. So Mandy very graciously accepted, or, you know, she didn't have much choice actually. I told her that we we're going to do this because Mandy's got a lot to offer. And I really want to talk to you, take you back actually from this transition. It's the same transition I went through as this being a reporter and then telling stories and then working for organisations and telling stories. Let's go back to that point where you thought to yourself, okay, I've I've done my time here with the ABC. What was going through your head at the time as to why you wanted to move?
0: Oh, well, I I guess back then there was two reporters in Canberra for ABC Rural. And um, in Australia at the time, around the rural reporters and and different states, they only wanted so much out of Canberra. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. it was a great job. It was a great job and lots of people said you shouldn't leave. But, um, and it was very, it really was the best job around being a rural reporter for the ABC. So that was pretty hard to leave. But I just thought, that, you know, I could expand and, and achieve more getting out the ABC. Um, whether or not that was a good decision, I don't know.
1: But what, <laughs> what did you like about being a reporter?
0: Well, I think I liked about, the thing I liked about being a reporter was actually getting out on the road and actually meeting real people in their environment. Um, And that was the beauty of being a rural reporter in the regions particularly. But the good thing, um, and so being up at Parliament House probably wasn't my, at the time, wasn't the thing I loved, but I've grown to be interested now in politics and, uh, and so I'm quite happy to work up there. But uh, it was out actually being out in the regions. And the good thing about Canberra is you actually have got a farming region just down the road. So, mm. um, and Serena Locke, who took over the job eventually yep. in my role, she made a great gig of that job and um, she did a brilliant job. Uh, unfortunately, they've just finished off. That that position doesn't exist anymore. So. What makes a good reporter? I think, uh, well, I guess the first thing is getting onto news that other people haven't to- told. It's grabbing people's interest with something that's newsworthy or interesting. It doesn't have to be, you know, incredibly newsworthy, just interesting sometimes. Um, but it's because you're dealing with audio, you've got to actually paint the picture and bring in real sound to give people a feel of the atmosphere uh, that you're experiencing. And being out in the field, you know, getting the, the sounds of, of what's going on around you, that's to me what makes an interesting report.
1: Mm. And getting the people too, isn't it? Getting them in their environment and really getting them to talk. And the way you get people to talk is if you listen well.
0: Yeah. And the thing I love about being a rural reporter and a radio reporter, you're often getting someone else who is the passionate person, the one that's their story. You're giving them a platform to tell their story as much as anything.
1: So when you transitioned, you know, you have these skills as a reporter, and then you're not telling the stories from a news point of view, where you're looking for, for new things to tell people. You, you're looking to tell the story of an organisation, but at the same time, you're looking to create that similar sort of connection with an audience. What did you find that were the hard things that when you, you jumped across the fence and you started telling stories for organisations, you know, like the, the Bureau of Agriculture here in Australia?
0: I think, It's actually getting those real people stories that can be hard in federal government. You might be dealing with a policy or something like that or, um, you know, I was working in Biosecurity Australia for a while doing their um, BA news. So that's harder to get those people's stories, but I managed to find them. Um, You know, we had some fantastic specialists in Biosecurity Australia and so many of them had interesting stories to tell. And so interspersed with the hard news stuff about what's happening with an import risk assessment, I managed to pull in stories about some of the interesting people that worked there and some of the things they did, um, which were not what you expect sometimes.
1: And were they the stories that performed the best?
0: Well, I guess back then we didn't have the analytics that we have today. Yeah. So um, I did get quite good feedback on that. And I remember uh, one, of the, um, the, one of the bits of feedback I got, which turns out it was from an old lecturer of mine, but, um, was it's great to get this newsletter on what things are actually happening rather than the usual, you know, gumph that comes out of
1: <laughs> some government departments. <laughs> How do we stop the gumph? How do we stop that? How do we improve storytelling in public sector organisations?
0: I think one of the biggest challenges is that quite often um, public servants remain quite anonymous. And I guess I managed to overcome that in a a place where I worked for six years in the Australian Centre for International Agricultural Research. And we'd have these people working, the research program managers, that had such interesting careers and their projects they were working on were so fascinating. And they were really good talent. Because they hadn't been public service very long, a lot of them. they just come in because this was a great job. And um, so we were actually able to use them. They were specialists in their area and, you know, have them on ABC Radio or other places. Yeah,
1: I, look, I, I think the, the great pity uh, really at the moment in public sector organisations is the fact that there is so many good stories that are locked up that we, we don't seem as yet to be able to get out as consistently as we need to in order to connect to the public so that the citizens and stakeholders can understand, well, why decisions are being made. And there is so much talent in the public sector, so much expertise. But I think we need to continue to build confidence and trust that people start to see, well, yes, telling our story in, in this direct way that we can now is going to be good for us because it's going to help the government to explain what it's trying to do. And I'm, I'm fascinated and dedi- I'm going to dedicate the rest of my career to try to sort this problem out because I think we can and I think we should because, again, there's, it's not just... I, I don't think it's just people who have been in the public service for a couple of years. I want to get to those guys and girls who've really got that deep institutional knowledge who've been there for others. So it really comes down to risk, and this notion of risk aversion and the connection to the political end and personal risk and, as you say, anonymity and other things. So what's a way forward? What would you say is a way forward that can help to start to deal with that risk, that can build the confidence that people can say, yeah, look, you know, we're doing good things and we're prepared to tell the story?
0: Ah, oh, that's a really interesting question. I think I, I think it's identifying the stories that the general public... If that's if your aim is getting to the general public, I suppose, you've got to work out who the audience is. I think you're talking about the general public here.
1: Yeah, well, exactly, but an audience, I think, you know, we've got to be audience-centred now, and it could be the general public, but it could be a very narrow part of the general public or a very narrow part of a stakeholder group. But you're right. I think everything starts with an, an analysis and an assessment of... Who that audience is. For example, it could be a particular piece of policy that a very narrow section of the community, or well most I think government policy really connects to quite narrow areas of of the world. So it could be it could be the public, could be the narrow, but it's it's just getting people to have that confidence, to have that conversation, which I think is hopefully going to enrich the policy or the program or the service or whatever it is that people are doing.
0: Oh well I guess you've got to get buy in from the senior management. Yeah. And I guess from them you find what, are the, what do they want to achieve through your communication? So, you know, they're able to say, well, really, what we really need is blah. And so then you've got to work out how you achieve that. And mm. they can also say, look, I th- actually think this is a really important story or an important issue that we've got to have tackled. So um, that at least gives you some direction on what they're wanting to achieve. And then I guess it's research sometimes. It's just talking to people and researching what these organisations um, have achieved um, what work they're doing. Um, you know, I guess the, the advantage of communications teams in these organizations is that they have across, you know, knowledge across the organization that's quite often the specific areas don't. So they're obviously, um, have a huge amount of, of knowledge that, you know, that that you could access.
1: Exactly. And, and also I think they have the permission almost to go and ask the, the dumb question, ask the simple question to to find their way towards where those interesting stories are that stakeholders are going to be interested in, citizens are going to be interested in. But it, it really, you know, again and again in the, during this podcast and speaking to other people, it's that connection of trying to convince senior management. So what are some of the tactics that you have used over the years? to get senior management to understand that the risk is manageable, the risk is understood and the risk is mitigated. And so therefore we really should go um, down this path of telling stories.
0: Well, I guess um, I guess one option is to start small and play it safe yeah. and for them to gain confidence in um, that this is a worthwhile process when they see the positive things that can come out of promoting... Um, Publicity. Yeah, um, that's that's a good start. Yeah.
1: Pilot project.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and just getting people on board and seeing that the, the the advantages of it. Uh,
1: I think that does work. I had a laugh with a very senior public servant the other day who said they've got more pilot they've got more pilot projects in their um, organisation than Qantas has pilots.
0: Yeah, that's a risk. <laughs> that is a risk, isn't it? That is a risk. <laughs> uh, look, I. I think I've worked in relatively, like my experience at ACR, it was a relatively low risk environment yeah. because they did have a lot of good stories to tell, good people to tell tell them and yeah. an interest from journalists. So, you know, we an lucky. And an interest from the community? People yeah. would have really I think loved we could that content, have, wouldn't they? Yeah, I think we could have done better. You can always do better. What it's didn't actually, you do well?
1: That's interesting. <laughs> Come on. Tell us, what what did, or, or what did were the obstacles to, to doing a good job?
0: Well, I guess in a public service, you really have to have the minister in mind. Yeah. And um, so you have to always be careful because they want to, the good stories and they want to be able to put out a media release and things like that. And, and I guess that's the, the big issue is that those ministerial media releases don't always get a huge amount of pick-up. <laughs> so it can. Very they delicately. Can. Well, yeah,
1: I know. But it's... Uh,
0: it depends yeah. on what it is. They can be very successful.
1: Of course. Of course, when they've got something to say, but yeah. it's something that's of use and relevance. But the, the problem is often it becomes, um, you know, self-reflective and, you know, I did this and I did that. And really mm. people don't care what they, you know, mm. they've got to really talk in a different way. But And that, that again, is part of the challenge over time. And I think increasingly as technology continues to change the way the world communicates and people have access to technology and have the ability to choose what information they receive, if politicians or anybody else wants to get into the consideration set of the community, well, they've got to give the community what they want. And Mm. I don't think the community wants self-interested pronunciations about, Mm. you know, what great things we've done. And I I think it's a real risk to politicians that if they do become that way that they will alienate people and I I don't think really as yet and I haven't seen the research and I'm sure it's coming but the fundamental and transformational impact on people's attitudes and the fact that they're better educated than they've ever been before they carry around a supercomputer in their pocket which gives them access to the world's information you know people are different you know we're not as passive as we once were and so therefore you know people who are trying to communicate need to understand that You know, the citizen, the stakeholder, the customer, whoever it is, whatever language you want to use, is in control. So you've really got to start with their interests. And if you don't, you're really not going to, you know, you're not going to succeed.
0: Mm. And I guess the challenge is now that we're dealing with, uh, you know, the traditional media's there, but, you know, it's just so broad now. And the different avenues that people get information, reaching young people, there's lots of different challenges, so...
1: It's changed and it continues to change. So I'd be interested in your views on that as well. How have you managed the transition? Because when we were journos, it was pretty easy, you know, like I know in the current affairs political world that I worked in, we had a program at uh, 10 past six in the morning. We had one at eight, we had one at 12 and we had one at six. Four times a day we had to knock off something to, to make the program fly But then between them we were putting stories together but there wasn't that sense today, particularly for journalists, of, you know, almost you're filing and then you're looking for the next thing and you're not filing to the clock, you're filing to the whenever you can stand that story up, you know, fire it out because you better get it out before somebody else is going to tell the same story. So how have you adjusted um, to this new uh, audience-centred, continual Movement that that we all now have to consider as we as we seek to reach people and and and, and earn that share of attention um, that we that we all need in in order for us to achieve the objectives of, of what we're trying to do.
0: Well, I guess it's actually um, well. For example, some of the work I do is promote to the media certain stories for you know some NGOs. Um, yeah like Results International Australia. And you actually get quite targeted about the journalists you, that you're targeting. You're really aiming for people that you, that, are, that are likely to have an interest in your story and you working towards their time frame. You, you're wanting to deliver, you know, the talent that they want, the timing they want and things like that. In terms of that fast... Pace. I got a bit of a taste of it up working up at SBS at Parliament House recently, and yeah, the continual need to update stories, and, and you know, they need everything yesterday, but that, that was an interest, interesting. It was far cry for just flying for yeah. the country hour. <laughs> yeah.
1: And how did, did you notice anything different? Was there less consideration of of the quality, or was speed? the need for speed, what was really well, driving?
0: Well, I, I have to say that it, 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 in some ways it's easier because there's so much material available that you can fairly easily download um, electronically compared to what it used to be like Yes. in that regard. But then I think there's a risk that everyone does the same stories. So that is that is, particularly um, a place like Parliament House. It's hard to get the a different, the different views sometimes, but you've got to be out there.
1: It's an interesting point you make also. I think in terms of that media relations, which you know is a, an important part of content marketing. You know, people have got to consider that, you know, public relations, media relations, public affairs, whatever you want it to. It's it's a key channel. It remains a key channel, and that notion of exclusivity. You know, that's what journalists particularly are looking for. They're looking for a story that you're prepared to give them, that you'll give to them and alone, so as that they can. Do a reasonable treatment of it and give it the effort that it's required because once it goes to everybody and once it loses that sort of sense of narrowness and ex- that lustre of exclusivity, it's, uh, mm. you know, there's much harder to get the story across, isn't it? That's
0: right. But getting back to your question, I guess, regarding how do you handle um, what's happening in the media, I guess some of the things it's like you know, creating your own media channels to your own audience and things like that. It's, you know... Sounds like content marketing. Yeah, so (laughs) making sure you've got fantastic photos taken that people would be happy to use, making sure you've got, um, uh, you know, you could have video taken um, that you can put on your website or you can offer to your partners. And even things like what we were discussing before is podcasting as well. So you can reach your audience through podcasts. So So, uh,
1: traditionally... And it's not just public sector organisations. It's in, in the private sector as well. We're traditionally set up around, you know, channels, um, but we're not set up around the audience and trying to understand and to deliver li- to value for that audience. And we probably have never had quite the, the capability that we do these days, given that technology has effectively democratised the factors of media production and distribution, and so they now rest in every organisation. So... It, it, Taking that transition from sort of the old way that we used to do things to this new way of being able to produce, create um, and distribute useful, relevant content, what do you think are the biggest challenges for um, uh, public sector organisations to take themselves away from where they are to this new publishing mentality that's going to sit at the heart of that effective storytelling through your own channels?
0: Well, I guess it's identifying the channel's that your audience will use. Mm-hmm. And if you were looking at a massive government department, um, I guess often they are working with the general media because they're going for the general public. It's quite challenging, but it could be through, you know, Centrelink or, you know, yeah.
1: wherever. I think the general public uh, is it's gone. You know, I don't think there's such yeah. a thing as the general public yeah. now. There is, you know, the, this notion of personalisation and, you know, the audience of one. We all now, because we have the control... I'm very narrowly interested in a certain number of things about a certain, so I, I'm really quite different to you, quite different to everybody else. So we're all mm. getting narrower. So this notion of, oh, we're going to speak to everybody, it's, it's, I think it's a slippery slope if you take that. I think you really have to try to be as narrow as possible.
0: Well, I guess it's that the risk is actually reaching people and there'll be people that you, you miss because they just don't yep. engage in the channels that you decide to use or mm. people that are not very, you know, internet savvy, you know,
1: maybe the older, older generation or, or it depends on who, you, who you're aiming for. True. But again, as part of content marketing, one of the really key things of content marketing is to understand that it's not just about digital. Mm. It is about print it is about advertising. Mm. It is about events. Mm. It is about public relations. So we don't just toss away what we've always done. We've got to bring those things along. And again, it goes back to the audience. Yeah. Who is the audience? What do they want? What are the stories that are going to light their fire? Why will they care about what you're talking to? And then really make some great emotional content so you can tell some great stories. It's yeah. uh it's, it's it's interesting. I also think that notion around, just going back to an earlier um, answer that you gave around finding those human stories, those people stories in public sector organisations and obviously having the permission to tell a story that evokes an emotion. Did you find that hard um, to get permission to be human?
0: Oh, it depends if you where you're working, I mean, it's not necessarily a human story about the people that, um, from the department, but they might introduce a, a very interesting human story themselves. I think if you're working in a small organisation, it's a lot easier than a large one, I think.
1: Yeah. Okay, you, you spend a lot of time telling the stories of research and research communication, and again, it's such a big part of public sector organisations. What does it take to tell good stories about research, or is it just the same approaches and tactics that you would take telling any any sort of story?
0: Oh, I think it is probably um, the, uh, almost the same in, some, in one way. But in another way, you've always balancing, you've got a very fine balance with being able to tell a story in a way that people can understand and relate to and, and get an inter, interest in and, and that the research is happy the way you've described it because, you know, it's very... Partic- you know, they're quite particular. They've, they've usually done a very... Um, Detailed study that's looked at a particular aspect of something, and you know it, they need it uh, explained correctly. <laughs> so, but again, that's, it's that managing that—that that, that is
1: a real task and a real expertise, isn't it? Trying to get the plain Eng- English version yeah. of something, of, and often people are so passionate and they say to you, "And this has to go in, and this has to go in, and this has to go in," and then all of a sudden it's a blamange, and you can't you can't find the story. Yeah. But from their point of view, it's clear but then trying to communicate that to an audience who are perhaps not as engaged. So how do you build those co- that confidence with the, the policy developers and, and the researchers so as that they can have the confidence that you're not going to dumb down what it is that they're trying to say?
0: Oh, look, I think it's allowing enough time for some to and fro between yeah. you and the researcher. and that's who it, good, that's I mean, it's advice. just time. It's, time. It, you, you'll get it eventually yeah. and you might get it first off, but it just might take a while.
1: Have you noticed changes over the years in in the way you tell the stories of of research communication?
0: Well, I think nowadays videos is is becoming, you know, um, uh, so regular. People are often using videos. Mm. Um, That's a good way of, you know, it's actually um, graphics are getting fantastic now as well. Um, I mean, I remember we did a story in Cambodia and... um, with creating a television story for a series and um, some of the material went to ABC and the Behind the News did this fantastic little story for kids and using lots of graphics and things like that. And, uh, yeah, that, that and animation. really, animation yeah. really helps with telling the story, I think, um, and that's all become a much more accessible and fantastic now, yeah.
1: graphics. Well, and that's it, isn't it? This, this, this capability is now accessible. This capability is now available. This capability is within public sector organisations to tell you those stories. So increasingly, I think we'll find the quality is going to improve as we get more people um, telling great stories. I did an interview once with this lady about mental health research. And she told me a story that I could not stop listening to and asking questions. And I remember the night um, on... PM, the National Current Affairs Program that went out every every week. And we used to do stories, you know, f- three minutes, four minutes, you know, five minutes was a long story. But I was so taken by this conversation and it was just electric, this conversation, because she was so personal about the way she told this story. It ended up at 17 minutes. And I remember sending, I, I sent this interview, I rang my executive producer, I knew she was going to go off her trolley, um, but I said... Trust me, trust me, trust me. This is got, you've got to. What program are we talking? This was was on PM. (laughs) This was a 17-minute interview on PM and it was the best story ever told. Uh It was this. And they uh, ran it. And they ran it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'd earned the right, you know. I'd earned the right for the argument to say, listen, I don't ask a lot. Just listen to to it. it. Just let it breathe. Let it work. And it was sensational. You know, it was such a beautiful story, well told. And I, I, I hardly wasn't, I've, you know, it's that great interviewing piece where you're not there. Yeah. I'm a bit more present in this interview than I was in that one, but it was like it, the story was there in the person and out it came and out it came and out it came. And, yeah, so that was that was my favourite. That was many years ago now. What's the best story you've ever told?
0: Oh, I can't. I'd have to think about what the favourite is, but just in terms of something that springs to mind. Yeah is that we were – there was a filmmaker going over to Bangladesh and he came – he was going with AusAid, I think, and he came and said, look, if you've got some interesting stories over there, we'll probably be able to film something for you. So I just got talking to – you know, the usual thing going around, talking to the research program managers and then ringing up the project managers and just talking to them all about what they were doing and trying to find something that really was going to work. And one of them came up with something. And um, it was really nice to get this story – and get it on film. It was about um, they had a project on introducing no-till cedars into um, to Save Labour and um, into Bangladesh for planting various crops. And this guy had been extremely poor, and he, I think he'd sold pots, and he was, you know, very, very, very poor. And he must have um, been able to get enough money, and, um, and he got involved in this project, and he got this cedar. And he just worked his guts out. He would, he was because the farmers would pay him to bring his machine in. He'd go up and down and up and down, and he got involved in all these, um, all this training. And the the Bangladeshi research pro, um, project manager said, told the the Australian, this, you know, I was so disappointed. He used to come to all the trainings, and he didn't come this day. And he turned, he turned up the next time he said where were you were you, you know you always come to the training why weren't you he said he said oh, i had a special i had a special um, thing i had to do and he wouldn't say and then he said well what was it and he was having a blessing a special blessing he was actually a hindu even though he lived in and uh, a blessing to the to the cedar and he'd, he'd he his life had been absolutely transformed and so the nice thing about making the film is that i recreated the blessing with all the color <sighs> And, you know, beautiful kind of Hindu blessing of this machine. (laughs) And it just made a nice story because of that. And he was so genuine and his life had really been changed.
1: But again, I think there's another real key insight there, not only just the story, but what you said in the introduction to the story was you saw the opportunity, you got out of your chair and went around and spoke to people in the organisation. If you're in this business, you have got to get out of your chair and go and talk to people and listen because in public sector organisations, they're they're reservoir of stories. So they're there, you've just got to go and find them and I think it's the job of the communicator to go and find them. And now that we've got this ability to create great content, distribute great content, we've got to remember that we've got to get out of our chairs and go and ask simple questions and, you know, two ears, one mouth – Ask the simple question and the answers are going to be there. So that never changes, does it? That never changes. No, That's but good inter- reporting.
0: The interesting thing is that the Bangladeshi research pro- um, project manager the Australian, and the research pro, um, program manager in Canberra, they'd all heard that story and passed it on to me.
1: Beautiful.
0: So it had resonated with, with all everybody. those people. Yeah. So it Because we're was, all
1: storytellers at yeah. the end of the day, aren't we? And this is this, again, this notion of, oh, well, we're in the communications, we own the storytelling. No, the storytelling is everywhere, you know. Like everyone can tell a story. That's how we communicate. So getting up and talking and, as you say, finding those resonant stories that are connecting that it's, they're about. So we just need to get them, tell them well, and then get them out. Just a couple more, maybe one more question. We're looking into the future, what are you seeing? You know, over the next little while, what is, what's one or two things that you think are, might be good advice for, for public sector content marketers as they get ready to continue to move towards this notion of publishing their own content and measuring the impact of that?
0: Well, I guess um, I've noticed, for example, the Department of Foreign Affairs is becoming more active in social media. For example, yep. and to fuel social media, you need good stories, you need good content. So. You know that that's important. You know, if you're going to go down that track, where well, you need the material to back that up, yeah. the stuff that actually is going to grab people that are on social media. Yeah, um, that's one interesting thing. But that's not particularly new.
1: But no, but, but but it's a reasonable insight because I think that's it's not just about a few assets. You know, you've really got to get into the game of creating lots of content because while the competition for people's attention is uh, is fierce and you know you are com- you know competing with listicles and you know cat videos and everything else to get the people's attention uh, if you can get it right the the demand is ma- is is large people will chew it up if you bring it then you can create it you know and you create good content so getting ready to not just create content on a sort of, I think you're going to have to prepare to get ready to create it on an industrial scale, which again gets to this notion of building journalism and production skills into public sector organisations so they can keep up with the demand. Because I think once once public sector organisations start to communicate effectively, there's not going to be any lack of demand for it because people want to know how their money is being spent where there's money being spent and what good are we doing with it or why are these decisions being taken? So I think it's a good insight because people have got to get used to the fact that they're going to have to scale up and get ready um, to be able to move to meet the demand of the audience and they've got to bring their senior leadership along with them. So one more thing. If that was one insight, give me one more before we go.
0: Oh, I guess the thing that came to mind, which is was really more of a risk of that is is dumbing things down too much you know sometimes things are complex and detailed and not incredibly palatable but they're still important yep um so it's just that you know playing the game that balancing act again Mm -hmm. of of uh, of of handling how you what information you've got to get out there how you're going to get it out there and um to so people understand it um yeah as a responsible government i suppose you've got to you know you've got to tow a certain line and that's how you how you have to communicate You've, you you do a job and it's not always incredibly fantastically interesting and you know fun every minute like social media is looking for but you know that's just what you have to do.
1: It is what it is. Mandy Joss. thank you. Thank you very much for coming over and saying hello and dropping into In Transition. We appreciate your time on this very warm afternoon here in Canberra, Australia. To you, the audience, thanks again for your interest uh, in public sector content marketing. We will continue to tell stories with interesting people. Thanks very much for your feedback. If you do like the program, if you could jump over to iTunes and Stitcher or anywhere else and leave a bit of a review, it helps for the program To be found. Uh, If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can jump onto the website at www.contentgroup.com.au. It's info at contentgroup.com.au and uh, just say hello. Or if you know of anybody who you would be interested in me having a conversation with, we are always very, very interested in finding the most interesting people in public sector communication around the world so we can bring their insights to you so that helps you to do your job just a little better. So thanks very much. Enjoy telling great stories and we'll be back next week. Bye for now. You've been
0: listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.